morning, church. Are we well? No. <laughs> no, 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 yes, we are. We are well this morning. Who loves a barbecue? Come on, put your hand up if you love a barbecue. I love a barbecue. You know, everybody's happy at a barbecue, aren't they? Apart from the vegetarians. They don't have such a... But the barbie's just a salad fest for them. Uh, so it's not quite so fun. I wonder if any, anybody here ever been to watch football live? Barbecue, you're all in, invited. So, you've been to watch a football live, yeah? So you know that when you go and watch a football live, you'll go and you'll stand in the stands, or you'll sit in the, sit, sit in the seats, and sort of like, you sort of get into it, you might get a snack, or if you want a sort of overly priced sort of box of peanuts or some chips or whatever. And, you, and as you sort of sit down, one of the things I love most about watching football live is the, is the fans and the chanting. You know, I'm a Chelsea fan. You go, Come on, you blues. Yeah? It's like, you know, that, that, I'll find the thing with, with football songs, they're never, never very complicated, are they? Because that would be too much. The football fans struggle with those long words, so keep it nice and short. Come on, you blues, nice and easy. Have you heard, Who are you? Yeah? Yeah? No, you don't have to, sorry, not, you don't have to repeat it back to me. But, you know, that's a common one. You know, when they shout that, when they shout, Who are you? You're shouting at the opposition saying, I don't know you. You're not good enough for me to recognize. And actually, we're going to come and look at this series, and we're going to start this morning with looking at identity. You know, because we ask ourselves, really, in our lives, who are you? Consistently, we look at our lives and go, well, who am I? How do I know who I am? Am I just Josh Richardson, a 22-year-old man who's an accountant, who wears glasses, who runs the youth programs of the church? Is that all I am? Because if that's all I am, I feel underwhelmed with that as an answer to the question of who am I? I feel like there's more. If I'm just what I do, that doesn't fill the gap inside of me. There's something that God places within us that seeks and thirsts and hungers to answer the question, who am I? Who am I really? You know, I've found sort of in some brief experience of doing youth ministry and just being around people that there's three ways that people get their identity. You get your identity from yourself. I'm going to call this one the personal identity. This is where you say, well, whatever I identify myself as, that's my identity. I disagree with this position. You know, what, people say, actually, whatever I choose to be, that's what I am. Because you know that people, we're broken, we're messy, we choose wrong sometimes. The second type of, of where we get place where we can get our identity from is other people. I'm going to call this our perceived identity. You know, what other people perceive us to be, what other people perceive us to act like. And, and they see us, and they see us based on our actions and based on our image. And they make a perception of what our identity is. And sometimes we can't try and almost reflect back that. You know, I'm a big sportsman. I love watching sports. Anybody else like sports? No. Uh, doesn't matter. Um, I like sports anyway. So uh, and what I love to do, when I, what I love to watch sports, any types of sports really, cricket, snooker, rugby. But what I don't like is watching sports with other people. I won't just stop there, but I don't, I'll be honest with you, if you've invited to watch foot, some sort of sport with me, you're in a sacred place. Because for me, like watching, if, you've got, if you made it into the zone of my life where you watch sport with me, you're a special person. Because not everybody gets in that space because sometimes I don't always become the best person, version of myself watching England play rugby or watching England play cricket. You know, but I love, I love watching sport, but I don't always love watching sport with other people. And particularly I don't like watching sport with other people who don't know the game you're watching, but pretend like they do. They are the worst people. The, wor- the worst people, you know what I mean, if anybody watches sports, that you're, like, you're, kind of, you're watching, you're, you're sat there, you're watching sport, they always sit too close, don't they? That you're like sat on the sofa here, 
And there's sofas, loads of space, and they sit here. And I've always applied the rule of personal spaces. If I can smell what you've had for dinner, you're too close. You're in my space. Get up. Come on. Just shift it on a little bit. You know, they're also always the person who, in a crucial moment of the game, in match point at Wimbledon, Andy Murray serving to beat Novak Djokovic, they've cracked out a pack of quavers. And I'm munching. They were, oh, oh, oh. You know, he's going up here for it. Oh. He's got, uh, and, he just, and it ruins the moment, doesn't it? It ruins the moment. They're the people that when you watch, I'm getting on a bit of a, a, bit of a soapbox. They're the people that when you, when you watch England play football in the 2018 World Cup, they keep shouting things like, Rooney! And you're like, Rooney hasn't been playing for a couple of years. He's, like, you know, he's, he's in a different, I don't mind blaming Rooney if he's done something wrong, but if he's in a different country, let's give him a break. Let's not be shouting Rooney just because, you know, because oh, I saw, they used to watch football a couple of years ago. I saw that Rooney, Rooney! You know, it's, I'm like, oh, no. Or, you know, the, the, the people that say, oh, that's a definite red card. And I'm sat there watching the golf going, what are you on about? What are you on about? You know, see, I don't actually mind watching sport with people who don't know the sport, but want to learn. They want to learn the sport. They want to grow into their knowledge. I, I enjoy watching it with them. But if, you're, if we're watching sort of Andy Murray play tennis, and you're sat next to me telling me how good a player Serena Willis is, then I've got no time. Oh, that, that's something that frustrates me. And I'll tell you why it annoys me. is because it's somebody talking about something they have no knowledge of. And I see in the world around us, when it comes to identity, that people far too often are writing books from their own perspective. You can get your identity from yourself. You can get your identity from something called self-realization. Whatever that means. You can find yourself, but they don't know what they're talking about. They can write books. They can sell you DVDs. But the only author who really knows your identity is the one who authored the whole of creation, who created every part of you, who designed you the way that you are. This is the third place where we've got to get our, our identity. It's from God. This is our true identity. We've got our personal identity, which comes from ourselves. You know, we, are, we get it wrong. We act on feelings. We've got the second type, we've got the perceived identity, what other people think of us, and you've got the third, the true identity, what God sees you as. And that's what I mean when I'm talking about true identity. It's just what, how God sees you. It's understanding how God looks at you, how God, he sees you. You know, it shouldn't be, your identity should never be defined by yourself or by defined by somebody else, but it should be defined by God. And if you read this book, it's full of identity phrases that will speak over your life. And you open this book up, and it speaks that you are loved, that you are chosen, that you are forgiven. Come on, somebody agree with me here. That you are accepted. And, you know, this is full of stuff like, there's so much good stuff, but if you're not in it, you lose your identity. So it's an important thing to get into it. I'm going to be a little bit interactive. I want us to sort of feed back a little bit. So what we're going to do is... I'm going to read. I'm going to sort of like. Talk, I'm going to really, I'm going to sort of just sort of go through some truths of what God says about you. I want you to understand your identity from what God says about you, because when we know that, then we know our, our true identity. Yeah. When we know that, not just we. When we sometimes we try and look for who am I. We're asking the wrong question: is whose am I? Because we're God's. That's the question that we need to be asking a lot of times. And so what we're going to do in the inter bit of interaction is I'm going to read a bit. We're going to have. A, I'm going to chuck a bit of my notes up on the screen. I'm going to say, who are you? And then you're going to reply back to me of whatever the phrase is on the screen. It's per the Bible. Okay. So we're reading this. We're going to read from John. And the thing I love about John is this. John, John writes sort of obviously his gospel. He calls himself in the gospel the disciple who Jesus loved. 
And I go, what an Arab? When I first read, it, read this, I'm going, I mean, come on, like, what, what, is, what, 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 is that, what is that about? And are you saying, John, that you are more loved than the other? Because sometimes that's how you read it. You go, well, he's the loved one. So not, not everybody else is not as much as loved as he is. But it's not, he understands who he is. And so I, that's why I, my favorite gospel is John, because he understands fully who he is. And it comes out for his reading. It's all about love. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus meeting people. You know, I love it. Right, let's crack on. John 1, verses 12, it says this. It says, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. You are a child of God. We talked about it already this morning. Who are you? Nice. That was good. That was good. You're a child of God. It says this in 1 John 3, verse 1. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Tell the person next to you that they're a child of God and believe it. When you think, when you think about it, doesn't it blow your mind? Doesn't it blow your mind that you are a child of God in the vastness of who he is, in the enormity of who he is? In just so the, 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 the hugeness that we can't even understand, that we can't even comprehend. And then we, and we, and we're his children, that we carry his DNA. We need to know whose we are before we know who we are. You know, when I was younger, uh, I used to go into my grandma's house after dinner, on a, sort of after church on a Sunday, we'd have dinner. One of my favorite times, I have so many fond memories of that time. We would go around, we'd have a roast dinner, and she would cook us a, usually beef roast, beef roast. And I don't know how, I don't know if I just remember it romantically, but I remember everything tasting wonderful. There was no component of the meal that wasn't wonderful. You know, you obviously like the beef tastes nice and the Yorkshires that everybody loves are great. But I, what I really remember is the cabbage. For some reason, that cab, grandma got that cabbage like singing. It was like it was beautiful, and I, and I, met, I remember having the cabbage, and it was like I was, it was lovely. And then we'd have dessert, and we'd have maybe sort of pavlova. Grandma, grandma loved the pavlova, or we'd have a crumble or a strudel, you know. We'd, and after we'd eaten, what we'd do is we'd we'd kind of like we'd go and sit down, and me and Beth would go and delve under into sort of grandma's understair cupboard, and we'd pull out the board games. Because I don't want to sound old when I say this, but back in my day, there wasn't really that many iPhones. When I was a child, there wasn't iPhones and iPads weren't around, really. A Nintendo DS might have just, just come out, but probably too expensive for you to afford. So we were playing board games. So we, we'd go into Grandma's house, and Grandma certainly didn't have any iPads or computers in her house. And so, you know, we, had, we, had, we went and we would found sort of games like the child's version of Monopoly. But Grandma didn't like that. It took way too long. If you ever play Monopoly, it's hours. It's too many hours. Ludo. Anybody play Ludo? Yeah, you know, we got to get all four of the accounts back to the base. And the thing about our Ludo board that we had was it had that, it had like a dome in the middle and it had the dice in it, you know. And, you know, anybody know what I'm talking about? Like on the Ludo, where you like, push it down. But the problem was, it's like a bit sticky. And sometimes you're punching the, like trying to get it flip over more than just like fall on the other side. You end up sort of punching the board and the whole, all the counters fly over. You have to keep pushing them back in every time. And then my favorite game was Guess Who? Anybody know the game of Guess Who? Guess who is a game, basically, where sort of there's two players, typically, and so what I'll have is I have a board of characters in front of me, I'll choose a character, and my sister, typically, who I'll be playing with, will choose a character, and then what I've got to do is I've got to try and guess the identity of Beth's character by asking a question, yes or no questions, and so let's say I've got a board in front of me, I say, Beth, are you a boy or a girl? She said, I'm a girl, so I, fl I flip down all the 
all the all the all the boys down. You know, then then she might ask me a question. I might ask her, "Are you a, are you blonde?" She said, "No." So I said, that's, "That's fine." So you're not blonde. So I'll get rid of any blonde people. And you know, the whole game is about us trying to rec- sort of you trying to work out the the, the per- other person's other players' identity of their character by how they look. Who knows that we live in a world that that's how they define your identity, by how you look, by by your image. You know, we live in a in a culture. We live in a generation called, the, you know, the Love Island generation. I want to tell you that I don't, I really have a strong feelings about Love Island. I call it Lust Island. It's got nothing to do with love at all. And I see it destroying young people's lives because they're looking at, I see, you walk down Exmouth Beach in the sun, you see 12 and 13 year old girls wearing barely any clothes because that's what they see on Love Island. That's what they see is attractive. You know, if I just wear less clothes, that will make, that will give me some worth. That will make me more attractive. and It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. And I'm not going to stand here and say that your image isn't important. I'm not going to stand here and say that how you look isn't important. I'm not going to stand here and say that sort of like how you look isn't a reflection of your identity because I believe it is. I believe that you look a certain way for a certain reason. I believe that your image matters. I don't believe it matters what you look like. I believe it matters who you look like. It matters that you are created in the image of God. I don't know how you see yourself this morning, but you are created in the image of God. You are created to look like your father. You are a child. Your identity is as a child. And when I look at you, I don't see what the world sees as beauty and imperfection. You know, when you look in the mirror and you see something, you know, I don't care if you've got a big nose, if you've got a little nose, if you've got wrinkles, freckles, if you've got brown hair, whether you've got brown, um, sort of ginger hair, no hair, whether you have lumps, bumps, or clumps. You are made in the image of God. You reflect the glory of God just by the way that you look. And there's somebody here this morning that needs to hear that they're beautiful. And there's some people here this morning who haven't been able to look in the mirror for a while because they've been scared of what they might see. Or when they've looked in the mirror, they've begun to cry. And God wants to tell you this morning, your identity does not come of how you see yourself or even how others perceive you. Your identity comes from who he says you are. He has given you your identity. You are a child of God. You look the way you look because he's put you there. You are perfectly in the way. You haven't got a big nose too big. Just because the world says your nose is too big in comparison to what their standards are, God put that nose on your face. And it's why I get frustrated when people try and change themselves because they're messing around with God's intelligent design. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make errors. You know, and when he looks at you, he sees beauty. He does not see imperfection because he designed you and you're in his image. You know when a baby, a new baby's born and everybody comes around and goes, oh, it's really cute. He looks just like his mom. He's got his nose, his, his dad's nose. Well, that sort of stuff. What they're saying is he's ca- they carried that baby. The child carries the characteristics of the mother and the father. When you look at yourself, when you look at the people around you, look at them as God sees them, as God sees you. Look at yourself as in the, created in the image of God. Look at the person next to you and tell them they're beautiful. Or, one, or good looking or whatever. If, you, if you're a bloke, you're like, oh, I'm not so beautiful. I'm too tough for that. <laughs> you are a child of God. Made in his image. That's your identity. 
Your identity isn't in what the world says of beauty and, and how you compare yourself to that standard of where do I fit in in terms of what the world says. You fit into how Jesus, you know, God looks at you and says, you are chosen. I designed you the way you do. And maybe there's somebody who actually looks at themselves and don't, you don't feel, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you don't feel it. And God's saying, leave the identity of what you think about yourself to the side for a second. Because let me tell you how I see you. Let me tell you what I see when I look at you. Because he sees himself. First one. I'm going to try, we're going to rattle through the other ones a bit quick. We're going to read from Colossians 2, 8 to 10. It says this. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. Self-realization is, self, uh, is high-sounding nonsense. You know, that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of the world. Rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you, are, so you also are complete for your union with Christ. Listen to that beat. For your union complete for your union with Christ, who is head over every ruler and authority. Who are ya? I am complete well, Jesus. Come on, let's do it again. Who are ya? I am complete Jesus. Yeah, we're getting there. I just want to keep you a lot. Keep you a lot. If the person next to you is, is nodding off a little bit, just shout a bit louder and just sort of keep them, keep them awake. You know, what this passage is saying is you don't need to add anything to yourself and Jesus to make yourself more complete. Jesus completes you. You know, sometimes we feel like, oh, the world tells you that you need to add this, you need to add that, you need to add this to be complete. That's a lie. You just add Jesus. He brings all the ingredients you need. you just got to bring an open heart. He'll bring you the peace. He'll bring you the righteousness. He'll bring you the love. you just got to bring an open heart to receive that and live in communion with him. You know, anything else, it says this. It says, sort of, don't let anybody catch you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking or from the spiritual powers of this world. Anything that you're, where you're trying to get your sort of identity from any place that isn't from God, it's from the devil. Because God knows your true identity and everything else is the enemy trying to tear you down. He's the one that will tell you that you're not beautiful. He's the one that will tell you that you're not wanted, that you're not chosen. God never says you that. That He never discourages you. He always encourages you. And if you feel discouraged, that's not God. You are complete. You are enough. Jesus has made you enough. So when we know, we read the scripture, we know that we're complete. We know that we're completely forgiven. We know we're completely restored. We know we're completely loved. And then it says this in Philippians 1.6. It's not the end. You know, it says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finished on the day when Christ returns. Look, yes, you are complete in Jesus, but your work is not complete. There's stuff to be done. Some of you have been sat, sort of sat figuratively, you know, sort of at home with your feet up when it comes to your relationship with God. You've just been chilling. And there's work for you to be doing. And God this morning wants to remind you, it's not, don't, don't just be settling. You, you, the glory days haven't gone. They haven't gone. The best is yet to come. And God wants to do a new thing in your life. You are complete for your relationship with Jesus. Let's move on. Ephesians, Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 6. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us, gave, us, gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. You are alive. Who are you? Come on. You're alive. We talked about, I'm not going to talk too much about this. Dad kind of covered this a little bit earlier. But you are alive for what Jesus has done for you. The dead things, the numb things, the limp things, they have gone. 
You know, and sometimes we look at our situations, and there may be some of you. I actually, I know there's some of you this morning, but there are situations that look and feel dead to you, but they're not. There may be situations in your life where you're looking at something, and you just feel like it's the end of the road in this area. You know, it's, I've, got, I've come, it's, it's come as far as I can. I can't see any other way out now. And you feel like you've passed the point of restoration. You need resurrecting now. You need a situation not to just be sort of like, oh yeah, I, need, I don't need just restoration. You need resurrection. And Jesus isn't just in the re- restoration business. He's in the resurrection business. He's bringing stuff back to life. If you don't believe me, go and read the story of Lazarus. He's dead, physically dead. He's in a cave. He smells. And Jesus brings him back to life. You are alive. Tell the person next to you you're alive. Remind the person next to you they're alive. Hopefully they are. If, if nobody's, the person next to you doesn't say anything, you need to be asking questions. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has become. You are new. You have a new identity this morning. Who knows they have a new identity in Jesus? Come on. Come on. Who knows? Because actually, this is, this is such a truth. When you live in the, your new identity, sometimes we get caught in the old things. It says this in Isaiah 43, 18. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Some of us need to stop allowing the past to finding our identity going forward. We need to start, sort of start, sort of start forgetting the old things. And we need to start remembering the new, thinking of the new things going forward. God is doing a new thing in your life. Genesis 19, when sort of, sort of the angels lead Lot's family out of Sodom and Gomorrah before he's about to destroy it. And, um, and sorry, Lot's wife is walking away and she looks back and she's turned to a pillar of salt because she's looked from where God has led her out of. And instead of focusing on where God is leading her to, stop looking back from where God has led you out of. Look forward to where God is leading you. It's better. Luke 9 says, anybody who puts their hand to the plow and looks back, backwards isn't fit for the kingdom of God. You crash. You don't do straight. If you don't plow straight, if you're looking backwards. Some of you need to stop letting your history define you. And instead, start letting his story of restoration and forgiveness be your identity. Your identity isn't found in who you used to be. It's found in who Jesus calls you to be. Peter was a fisherman. Jesus calls him to be the rock on which he builds his church. And he is. Some of you need a new name. He was Simon, becomes Peter. Simon was an old way of how he'd done things. Simon was the fisherman. Peter was the rock on which he built his church. Some of you may need a new name this morning. You're a new creation. Romans 8, 1-2 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-given spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. I am free. Who are you? I am free. Come on. I am free. I love that picture. Anybody else like that picture? I love that picture of the chains coming off. Don't identify as a sinner anymore. Those days are gone. When God looks at you, he doesn't see the sin. He looks at you and sees the righteousness of Jesus. How good is that? You know, sometimes sort of we sort of get caught a little bit. And whilst Jesus has freed us from the power of sin, sometimes we choose sin anyway. And some of us need to start living free this morning. 
Jesus calls you, he says you're free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. But some of you are choosing not to live free. Some of you are choosing this morning to let your sin just stick around. There'll be some people, I'm going to be a bit strong here, but there'll be some people in this room who need to stop sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend. There'll be some people who need to stop drinking because you can't just have one socially. It just turns into one and two and three. Some of you need to stop allowing fear and anxiety to control your life. Some of you need to turn the computer off because pornography has become a problem for you. You need to stop because it is keeping you in bondage. You need to be free. Some of you need to be stop being so selfish and think about other people. And please don't hear me wrong. I am not here to condemn you. But Jesus wants to free you. There is no condemnation through Christ. We've read it. But he wants to free you because some of your identity is held in bondage of your sin. In the stuff you're doing wrong and it's not held in the full freedom. If you're living in any area of sin, you're not in the fullness of freedom that Jesus has for you. We're imperfect. We get it wrong. I get it. But don't be consciously choosing sin because he has freed you from that. He has freed you from that. Last one. Romans 8, 37. You are victorious. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Who are you? You are. You are. Tell the person next to you you're victorious. I want to tell you, it's not a close game. It's not a close game. It's not been nip and tuck between you and your opponent. God has dominated. God has overwhelming victory. God is a winner, and you are a winner through Jesus. I felt this as I prepared this message. I believe there may be somebody here now. I believe I'm probably a gent in it, sort of like middle ages of life. And as a younger person, somebody spoke over you that you were a loser. Maybe a teacher, I don't know. But God wants to re-correct that. You've held on to that for all these years. You remember them calling you a loser. And it's helped, it started to form some of your identity. And Jesus says you're a winner. I've made you a winner. You are victorious. You can let go of the stuff of the loser because you're not a loser. There's nobody in this room who's a loser in Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you are a loser. I'll be honest with you. But with Jesus, you are victorious. Sometimes, you know, you can live victoriously even when you're not seeing victory in situations. There'll be situations that you're going through that are tough. You can't see the victory in them at the minute. You Actually, you feel like you're staring down the, the sort of the, staring down the feet. And you, and you just, you don't know. You're just like, oh, there's, I'm about to lose here. But God wants to come and remind you that you are a winner. That you are victorious through him. You need to be holding these truths as real. These are simple truths. I've, I've said every time, I don't preach complicated messages. These are simple truths, but when you're, can you apply them? Because that's where it becomes difficult. Do you, want the keys? Do you want to jump up on the keys, Chris? I'm going to finish here. I just wanted to say one more thing. Because I think that sometimes we, we get caught into this trap of following our feelings. You know, the Bible says that you know, we're alive, we're clean, we're free, we're victorious. Our identity comes from him. But sometimes we don't feel the way. We don't feel very free. We don't feel very alive. We don't feel very victorious. And Jesus tells this story in Matt 7 about two builders. And there's one, and I'm paraphrasing when I say this, and he's walking, so he walks down the beach one day and, he, and he's admiring the sunny weather and he's looking around 
and he's like loving the sand and the sea and he has this idea to himself, what if I build a house on the sand? He loved the idea of being able to open a door every day and put his feet and feel sort of the sand in between his toes. Some people don't like that. Some people do. I don't know. But he loved it. He loved being the, the idea of being so close to the sea. He loved the idea of that. But you know, when he starts building his house there and then the storm comes, it gets washed away. But the other builder recognizes that he needs to plan longer term. He needs to think not just in the short term. He doesn't just want to build on the temporary feelings. He doesn't want to just build on what is just temporary. He wants to build something that's permanent, that lasts. He builds on the rocks. And when the storms come, he stands firm. And far too often as a youth minister, I see young people making decisions based on feelings and old people are the same. Where if you feel a certain way, it's not a fact. Your feelings aren't facts. The facts are written in here. Just because you feel a certain way about a situation doesn't mean it's true because your feelings can lie to you. Your feelings don't always tell the full picture of what's going on. He felt like he wanted to have the the sand between his toes. He wanted to be close to the beach, but he didn't think about the, the storms coming. And your feelings, sometimes you may make rash decisions based on feelings. And I'm not saying don't have feelings. I'm just saying build your life not on your feelings, but on the facts of Scripture, of what Jesus says about you, that he says that you are loved, that you are accepted, that you are redeemed. We're going to come into land. The rest of the band can jump up if you want. We're going to pray in a second. There's an important part of identity. You know, our identity drives our actions. Who you are defines what you do. You know, I said at the start, I'm not who I am because of the things I do, but the things I do is because of who I am. I'm not who I am because of the things I do, but I, I do the things I do because of who I am. I don't just run youth programs in this church. I know who I am as a son of God. And I want to tell younger people who they are. I want them to find the identity that I have. My life isn't perfect. But I know a hope and I build my life on a rock which will not fall down when the storms come. Let's just bow our heads for a second, shall we? just invite God to come and speak his identity into you. You're a child this morning. You're a child of God. You are loved. You are designed. You are handcrafted. Just receive that. That's who you are. That's who Jesus says you are. You are free. You're victorious. You're an overcomer. We're going to start singing. Just keep receiving.